Welcome to Seaside Joe. I'm Kenneth Arthur. All of a sudden, that sounds bad to me, but uh, I'm Kenneth Arthur, Seaside Joe, and with me as always, Thad Wenatchee. We're talking about the Seattle Seahawks in the, what do you call it, preseason uh, exhibition contest last night playing against the Chicago Bears. It's funny because I, I have to keep reminding myself what I've always been trying to remind other people of for a long time, which is that this is only preseason, you know, for so many, I think when the Seahawks were good and we expected the Seahawks to be good for 10 years, almost, you know, pretty much around 10 years, the preseason, you could have these bad nights. And then I, that's when I would come in and say, Hey, what are you doing? None of these guys are playing. It's only the preseason. What are you worried about the Seahawks playing poorly in the preseason? That's not Russell Wilson out there. Right. This time around it's different because you can't say that's not Russell Wilson out there when the same context, you have to say that isn't Russell Wilson out there, but it is maybe the starter. And so there is important difference to the preseason in 2022, as opposed to, you know, the last nine, since we've known that Russell Wilson is a starting quarterback. And so the Seahawks end up, looking pretty bad here in two preseason games and especially looking their worst uh, against the bears and their worst being that first half and whether, you know, it doesn't really, I'm past the quarterback competition at this point. I think this was the last night broke my backs, I guess. And so it's just to the point where it's like, well, okay, fine. There's people who are so supportive of Geno Smith that it doesn't matter what happens. So what am I going to talk? Why, why, what am I arguing about for at that point? That there's no more, that's just over in their minds. So, you know, for me, it's over in the sense of, okay, yeah, I mean, it could be Geno Smith. It could be Drew Locke, but it's certainly, you know, could be Geno Smith. And I don't know how that is going to go. And I don't, and I'm just trying, you know, I'm just trying to acknowledge this with, you know, the reality of the situation. And it's just kind of uh, time to move past until we have the, the rest of the data points there if Drew Locke is able to start against the Cowboys next Friday. So when we have those data points, we'll talk about it again. We have all the data points in Geno Smith. Nine years in the league, an entire offseason as the starter, two preseason games as the starter, playing a full preseason game, four quarters of preseason, uh, against the Steelers and Bears, some reserves, some starters, mostly reserves. And, you know, without uh, several components on offense, but nonetheless, we have seen Geno Smith. You don't need any more data on him. So we'll see Drew Locke, and then we'll figure out, you know, sort of where the competition stands after we get the other quarterback to play. And if that doesn't happen, I would imagine that, I guess Geno Smith is going to, I don't I don't even know what's going to happen when we get to that, if we get to that point, but uh, so for now, we'll just wait until then. But Thad, before I move on, I think it only fair, of course, to give it some acknowledgement and to find out what you thought. So Thursday night, Geno Smith against the Bears first half. You've been in the camp of Geno Smith is all right. Geno Smith is fine. You know, I think that he could even be good under the right circumstances. And we'll just find out. So was your opinion uh, affected by last night's game? Um, yeah, no, it wasn't really changed. Um, but, you know, I did like what I – I didn't hate what I saw out of, of Gino, and I also didn't necessarily – I wasn't blown away, so it was right in the middle. But what I really liked was where the coaches are telling him to throw on the field. It seems – he, it doesn't seem like he's necessarily the same quarterback that he's ever been before, right? Like he doesn't necessarily look like he doesn't necessarily look like the quarterback that that like that the Jets wanted him to be. He was he doesn't not, he not necessarily is playing under the same kind of offense the Giants had him playing under, but he's playing under that Pete Carroll offense, which is you know support the run game, um, intermediate throws, and then every now and again like a nice sluggo, you know, like a 20, 25-yard, 30-yard pass, every now and again a bomb. So that's what I liked about it. You know what I mean? The attempts, his place in the offense, maybe his throws weren't the best sometimes, but 
Um, yeah, I wasn't swayed, but I liked what I saw. It, I, I, it was average for me. It was average. Everything was okay. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to provide really any counterpoints because I said I'm past the quarterback right. competition talk. That's yeah. fine that you've, <laughs> you've seen a good. I haven't seen any good. Uh, I don't, I think that there are, you know, if average to me means 16th or 17th best in the NFL, I've seen 25 to 30 quarterbacks that are better than Geno Smith. So for me, average is not where he's at. I do think that there are, there is a contingent of Seahawks fans out there who agree with me, who, who are kind of responding to that. And, uh, you know, and on the, and like those, Debates, they just don't really go anywhere. And so, like, I think it's fair to have two different point of views and, and not call one right and one call one wrong. Uh, the best data point, I guess going back to that term, uh, will be none of this matters until we get two, three, four actual regular season games. Because if we're three games into the season and the Seahawks are 0-3 and just as Geno Smith kind of Last year in his three games and so far in the preseason, the drives have not accounted to touchdowns. No matter how you want to put it down there, the points aren't really coming and there's a lot of negative drives. Or if Drew Locke goes out there and the Seahawks are 0-3 and throws eight interceptions, obviously we're going to have a different quarterback. So it doesn't really matter. And nobody will be on the side of the quarterback who is doing poorly in the regular season. If you do, you know, it's going to be much harder to have that just from observations of other franchises because, you know, the Seahawks haven't been in any sort of position to have a quarterback controversy for 10 years. So this is new territory for a lot of fans or it's old territory that we just haven't dug up in a long time and we don't necessarily remember. And we didn't even have a Twitter back then, you know, we didn't even have the Internet in its current form like we do now. And so I've just observed how other fan bases quickly go uh, they'll flip on a quarterback once the regular season losses start piling up. And that's that goes for pretty much anybody, no matter what, you know. So we'll see what happens in the regular season and figure out the quarterback competition. Uh, but we did see some starters out there for the Seahawks on offense and defense. Some of those guys around the quarterback position, you know, Abe Lucas maybe standing out more than Charles Cross so far. And I don't know if that has to do with, you know, his matchups. I don't know if it has to do with just the fact that, you know, Abe Lucas, he's has these big, nice pancake flags rolling guys over, uh, just seems to dominate certain reps. And those clips get shared on, on the, on Twitter and, and it's very exciting and it is good. You know, it's great to have a positive. I don't know necessarily if there's other things going on in his game where you're like, well, in this area, he struggles. So I don't know if that's going on. Yes or no, but I do know he's standing out more and that Charles cross getting, you know, all the penalties on Thursday night, that was unusual and unexpected and not necessarily something that I think uh, anybody sounds that concerned about at this point. Um, so I think both are well ahead of the curve for most rookie tackles, especially Abe Lucas is a third round pick, you know, had some people who were fans of him in the first round. You know, I know that Rob Staten was a big kind of like a first round guy on Abe Lucas and is playing that way. Um, and then the rest of the offensive line had a little shuffling Damian Lewis going out eight snaps into the game. And, you know, I think in general, what would really be nice is to see this offensive line with Rashad Penny and Ken Walker for an entire game and kind of just sort of see how the run game and everything flows through that because we haven't really gotten a, a clear picture on that. But we have seen great play out of the other running backs, Travis Homer, DJ Dallas, Darwin Thompson. So that's kind of interesting, too, to see how those guys are gelling together. But, yeah, what was your take on the offensive line? Um, yeah, like I think what I'm looking for, I mean, I like you were just to kind of reference the – Gino thing that you said earlier, and I know we don't we don't want to talk about the quarterbacks. No, um, I mean, you can say whatever you. I mean, uh, we have to talk about them sometimes. So yeah, don't feel too yeah. uh, sheepish. <laughs> um, I just wanted to clarify that it was not necessarily that I think he looked like an average quarterback, but more that I was okay with where they're having him go on the field, right? And I think that's similar to what I'm seeing with the run game. Like you said, maybe it hasn't gotten into a flow, but I like 
and maybe we don't know exactly how it's going to look, obviously, in the regular season, but I like where they're headed. I like the holes that are opening up, you know. Um, I think that, I mean, Homer did gain weight in the offseason. I think he gained about 15 to 20 pounds, and he got, he was always kind of a little thin, I guess, for the modern NFL, but he looks like he's running really, really hard. Dallas looks like, I mean, he had another, like, you know, 80-plus all-purpose yards game. Um, who was the third? Who's the third guy? Johnson, right? Darwin Thompson. Darwin Thompson, right, the third guy. I mean, he looked really solid, too. So I see, like, what I what I liked about it was the opportunities that the line was making for them, you know? The individual performances, you don't want to judge them too much, like, you know, because obviously it's the Bears and it's the preseason, but – no, I think the. No, I mean, really, though, I mean, like, I, I really should emphasize, though, still, like, even though we're living in this time of great uncertainty with the Seahawks and there's a new era and there's new players and all that kind of stuff. And it's kind of like they play really poorly in the preseason and we can't necessarily judge that for the regular season. I, I still it's still the preseason. So it's like, yeah. you know, it is the preseason. You look back at all the preseason box scores in history and it's just a bunch of no names with a lot of yards and stuff like that. And so. Now, I don't think DJ Dallas and Travis Homer are no names. I mean, I feel like those are guys that are, have quality roles on the team. Um, and, and certainly the Seahawks have some starters out there with them on the offensive line, but a lot of them obviously young and experienced. And as you said, these are not first string defenses that they're facing, not in the coaching, not in personnel, um, not in situation. And so it's just sort of, that is something to, but I do think like, yeah, emphasizing the, the point of like watching the way that they played. I think Travis Homer does look, you know, bigger, faster, kind of like, uh, it was his first time last, I think in the first preseason game, didn't really take any extra yards, didn't really force any missed tackles, seemed to go actually the wrong way here and there. And I think in this one, that was not the case. Um, yeah. But I remember I was just that disappointment and he had a, that third drive opens with a 33 yard run and the Seahawks end up having a 31 yard drive. So, you know, that's where I think this situation for Seattle to be a team that must rely so heavily on its rushing attack is one that leads for, okay, well, if you get, if you get zero to two yard to negative two yards on your first, first and 10 carry, Okay, great. Here we go. You know, this is another thing, too, where it's like it's not just how Geno Smith will play in the first half or how Drew Locke will play in the first half. It's if the Seahawks are are, are legitimately kind of bad or a little bit bad and to the point where it's like and we already know that they've struggled in the first half games always under Pete Carroll. You know, if all of a sudden you're down 14 points or 10 points or 13 points or 21 points since the second half. Well, instead of putting, you know, Russell Wilson out there, now you are asking either of those quarterbacks to go out and complete very difficult tight window passes 20 to 30 yards downfield or to, you know, make all the things that go into being a great quarterback in those situations. And as soon as you start asking either one of those guys to do that, I think there has to be legitimate concerns by fans that it will not result in a positive play. It doesn't really matter if it's Locke or Smith in that situation of like, okay, you're down 14 points. Now we have to abandon the run. Well, either both of them are not very trustworthy so far in their careers. Uh, maybe with, as you said, Geno Smith and Shane Waldron or Drew Locke and getting out of Denver, that either one of them will play differently, you know, this upcoming season than they have before. But, uh, yeah, as far as like a lot of the players out there, uh, certainly not ones that I think we can expect to see very often in the regular season, like the wide receivers, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily take away uh, from this game that I felt like I saw any future starting Seahawks wide receivers. Um, how did you feel about their play? Cause obviously we saw good. We've also saw drops, whether that was Derek young or Bo Melton or Kate Johnson or whatever, like there was good and bad. And the new cat um, dropped a pass in the end zone. Oh, that was a new, that was a, Tough. That was a tough one to, to haul in. Um, Arthago Whiteside. Arthago Whiteside. Yeah. Um, the drops were frustrating. I did. I, I was happy that Gino and Jacob Beeson put the ball in places where their receivers should have caught it. But I would, like you said, I, I wanted to see Melton uh, and Young pop. I wanted them to, 
to just make some good plays, right? Not necessarily have 100 or 80 yards, but like to just make some really good catches, catches that they're going to be asked to make during the regular season if they're um, on the team, and they didn't. So that was frustrating. Um, yeah, so like you said, you I know, think there's no, that nobody popped off the page to like be like, oh, my God, that's the number three or number four, honestly, which was frustrating, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's um, something that the Seahawks would presumably really have a high need for, which is like that third option as a receiver and especially like kind of feeling that so far through two games, inconsistency a little bit from Noah Fant, unsure of, you know, I mean, when Noah Fant came over, there weren't a lot of Denver fans that I had heard be very upset about that. And I, I realized like from my perspective, the perspective of a lot of fans, it's easier to just see like, well, he's got yards and he was a first round pick and he's young. And I do think that there's, uh, certainly, you know, but I could also say that about without the first round pick, uh, part, I think I could say that about Gerald Everett, you know, and just not seeing like, yeah. like I had never been a huge fan of the Gerald Everett signing because I had just seen him in the Ram, on the Rams. And it was just sort of, there was a reason that LA let him go. So with, Regards to like needing more offensive weapons, the Seahawks have two of the best in the NFL with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. But another thing that Pete Carroll said after the game was like, yeah, well, you know, we'd like to get back Marquise Goodwin and D. Eskridge. And that is another element. Like we can't really discount D. Eskridge because who knows? Like if, if this entire issue for the last, you know, 18 months has been injury related and, and then all of a sudden, Come September, he feels like I've never felt this good before. Who knows what could happen with D. Eskridge and Marquise Goodwin? You know, maybe if, if it's the right opportunity for him to showcase his skills and he's still got them, you know, maybe he also will, uh, or, you know, him be the guy that changes that. But yeah, I would say Freddie Swain hasn't really moved the needle. Derek Young, you know, and Bo Melton just don't seem like, I mean, and nobody should put any expectations on guys at that level to like come in and, in their first years uh, as undrafted free agents and, you know, start catching passes from the quarterback during the regular season doesn't usually happen. So it's really, there's so much pressure on Metcalf and Lockett and also on these tight ends to do better. Uh, did you, do you feel like you have a favorite tight end? Because we don't really get that much out of, uh, I was going to say just like, we don't really get much information off of Will Disley. I think like it's kind of, I don't know. I mean, I assume he's going to kind of just be, we got to channel more of the recent Will Disley, which is like, Hey, solid player, solid blocker, good for maybe 20 catches, you know? So it's like, where do you stand on maybe either one of the, cause Colby Parkinson also is kind of like inconsistent mixed, mixed reviews. I think with lots of potential, but is he going to put it all together? What do you think? I mean, Parkinson dropped a pass that, Melton dropped yesterday, that Young dropped. I mean, all these receivers, all these pass catchers have not hauled in balls that they should have hauled in, you know. Parkinson and Fant and Disley haven't really made any big plays, but I also suspect maybe you agree with me, like like in the preseason, you're running a more vanilla offense, and usually your tight end is kind of like your sneaky – you're, you can, especially with our tight ends, <clears throat> we're going to put them all over the field, right? So I don't necessarily think we're going to reveal too much how we're going to play. Like we're not playing very much motion or there's no pre-snap motion really. And tight ends are all about the pre-snap motion. So I think maybe it's hard to evaluate them, right? Because they're not, right. you know, like, cause I seem fan on a couple of seam routes, but they were really like simple routes, right? Like I think he's going to run more complicated routes. So, I mean, Parkinson like makes it more easy to evaluate because it's like, I think his obvious, his like his highs and his lows are so much more obvious. You like, yeah. And when he's in, and he's playing the second half, which usually is, was either lock last game or East in this game. And they're just going to be more aggressive. And they're more, those guys are more aggressive, right? Cause Gino kind of, Gino's throwing the ball around a lot too, but Eason and lock are more willing to chuck it downfield. I feel like, you know, and I just, you know, it's like, this is that interesting time of year where I, I really feel like we all, every fan appreciates that specialness, you know, those special players, the ones that come along that are just like, 
oh man, you know, somebody like Doug Baldwin is a great example of a guy who did not have any of the pedigree and all that kind of stuff going for him. He really had to earn the respect of fans over many years. And he did that by the end, like you were looking at him and saying, wow, this guy is like everything, like his, the way that he goes out there and performs, uh, you can tell that in a different offense, he could have put up way more yards, way more touchdowns because he was just so crisp and it's a route runner. So, uh, talented with catching the ball and, and just so sure handed and such a great, like just everything. Like there was like all that stuff wrapped up in Doug Baldwin and he didn't have the necessarily the pedigree for people to go like, I believe that Doug Baldwin's going to be great. And when the preseason came around, maybe Doug Baldwin could, I feel like with Russell Wilson too, like even in the preseason, you can watch them and go, wow, these are special players. Wow. That's great. We're very excited about. This guy, he does everything so right. So when I think of a guy like Colby Parkinson or Noah Fant, I think, well, if I have that level of, of, of high of a bar for specialness, for being a special player, if someone's like, well, I think like with enough development, Noah Fant could become like someone like uh, no, uh, Mark Andrews, you know, or something like that or whatever. You know, I don't want to go as high as Travis Kelsey for some people, but I think that uh, Mark Andrews is like an elite tight end. And yeah. I think about like, you really, I don't ever, th- I can't imagine Mark Andrews when he's trying to prove himself on a team, dropping a touchdown, drop, you know, having a mistake of, of like a, any sort of like huge error. So like, uh, well, I was thinking Colby Parkinson is the drop and, and Noah Fant like making that sideline catch against the Steelers, like all yeah. these little things about it where it's like, if I'm supposed to picture either of those guys or Will Disley as someone who's going to develop into like a premium tight end, well, they're leaving me with a lot left to be desired because even in the preseason show show how special you are you're going up against backups you're going up against guys who you say that you should be starting and these guys are you know not as you know valuable as you so i don't know like uh, as maybe uh, on the defense you know maybe like a guy like josh jones is a guy who early in the game last night kind of showed like i'm better than this moment like i could be playing i, I i'm a guy that's going to be making plays on sundays and so against this in this situation i'm going to dominate even a guy like Tariq woolen maybe could start saying that you know with you know obviously he's also has growing pains but maybe yeah. even a guy like Tariq woolen you'd say like okay for a guy that's a that's a fifth round pick who you know, people said was way too raw to, you know, be a, uh, a valuable in the NFL this soon. He seems better than most of the players on the field for preseason. Yeah. So wh- who do you think like stood out for you as like, oh, these are special. This is a special player. Or maybe you want to comment on, on Woolen or. Well, I don't, I mean, with when you're catching. Okay. So if you're a defender, right. And you have this, we have this new team. We have this new attitude or at least kind of evolved Seahawks attitude. You have, um, you know, your two franchise players jettisoned from the team. Lots of really kind of overly critical preseason rankings from people about how their offseason went and, and where they rank uh, in terms of positional groups. And I think if you're kind of doing this thing that the Seahawks are doing right now, sort of digging themselves out of their their own grave, I guess you could say, starting to dig themselves out of their own grave. I mean, if you're a defender and you're trying to learn new stuff, like you're just going to – the improvement is – a lot of it's effort-based, right? Like I'm not saying try harder or uh, like necessarily like try harder, but it's effort-based in the sense of knowing you're – uh, responsibilities, and then once you know your responsibilities, then you can be really aggressive and then go do your thing. A la um, Tariq Woolen, I felt right, like was a great example um, where he kind of looked like deer in the headlights against the Steelers, and then he looked like <laughs> he looked like a starting cornerback yesterday. You yeah. Know I mean? So I think if your guy, like in comparison, like to make those plays. Um, where we're looking at them as fans, right, and saying, okay, we know it's the preseason, but we want to see something pop off the screen. If you're an uh, offensive player, if you're Kobe Parkinson, if you're Noah Fan, you know, you're, you're, you know, when you're Russell Wilson throwing balls to your receivers, 
you know, one of the things with Doug Baldwin and of course Tyler Lockett for sure, but especially like you said with Doug Baldwin, you know, it took time for Russell to figure out where Doug was going to be, you know, and where to throw it because Russell notoriously doesn't like to throw into tight spaces and Doug Baldwin gets separation, but he never got like Terrell Owens separation. Right, right. But he always had separation. So eventually there was a time where you, you saw it evolve where Russell threw it into Doug Wilson's wheelhouse and it took him time to figure that out. So I think part of, I don't want to make too many excuses for the offense because then people are going to watch these videos and be like, man, that sad dude you had on, that guy really had no clue when we're like two and 14, you know what I mean? Two and 15. But I do think that for the offensive players to pop, it's, they still have to build chemistry. You know, I did like, um, Jacob Eason's aggressiveness and obviously they had to throw the ball like the whole time he was in because they were down by so much but you could see players going for the ball and trying to make that big play you know and it's not always going to work out on offense whereas if you're a defender you're Tariq Wollin, you're Josh Jones, you're anybody on the line, you're Daryl Taylor if you're just going to be like really aggressive you're going to you're going to pop Maybe you're not necessarily in the right position. Maybe last week you looked pretty bad. Maybe the play before you got, you got, uh, maybe the defender, you know, looked bad. But to make that, do you understand what I mean? Like to make that pop kind of play, I think it's easier for a defender to show themselves. But like, I really hope Parkinson, I feel like Parkinson can be a good player. I feel like Fant can be a really good player. But to me, uh, next week's the big. I mean, if we look like we did last week, next week, pff, bro, I'm I'm turning to the Cowboys. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, it's really. I'm trying to think because I think like the Cowboys. Uh, I do know what you're saying, and because like you know the it's it's hard. Maybe it's in this scenario, it's harder to make it's complete and execute the offensive play than it is to, uh, sort of just be the benefactor a benefactor of a, of a poor offensive play, you know, or, or an easier pass to deflect or whatever it is. Yeah. I think, you know, that end of game with Jacob Eason and everything is funner to watch than it really was helpful to know anything about the Seahawks. I mean, <laughs> other than what we are, I mean, well, other than the stuff we already know, I mean, like Jacob Eason cannot be in a regular season NFL game. I mean, if he was, then yeah, those red zone throws would have been a lot nicer. Uh, you know, it's just going to be sort of, and I appreciate, you know, he was, he's, he's probably got, he's definitely got a live arm, you know, and he's probably got one of the better like arms on the, on the team, maybe, you know, uh, but at the end of the day, all of the things that go into quarterbacking, um, People have been trying to turn that Jacob Eason talent into a quarterback for six or seven years, and he just keeps not doing it. So I just have to go off of history uh, and, like, yeah, like the total amount of history for all these players uh, added up is going to amount to some degree of what's the odds that they will become, like, a good starter, a great starter, you know. And if I'm talking about that level of this is a great starter, I don't necessarily see that at this point from the tight ends or from uh, the quarterbacks. And so, you know, I do see that, or at least we're talking about that for cross and Lucas, which is expected, right? Like they're young guys that could be, have that with Wolin that's expected with Kobe Bryant. That's expected. We can be more optimistic about them uh, because of their current situation and the way that they've flashed over the last three, four weeks. So that's all good um but i you know i i do think that with regards to how the seahawks actually are this season and and how whether or not they'll look better next week and and what to how to react to it if the seahawks you know if they have another performance like the one that they just had obviously if they were to copy that with drew lock you know then it really does become a question of well then i guess you just go with geno smith because he has the experience and you can always make that transition to Drew Locke. Like I said, three or four games into the season after he's actually had reps with the ones, that's actually some interesting factor in this too, which is like based on Pete Carroll's decision to do the quarterback competition this way, it means that Drew Locke, you know, is coming in 
cold uh, with the starters whenever that moment happens. And kind of interesting to see that now, given the unexpected uh, absence, you know. So it's kind of going to play a, fi- a factor in, in acknowledging how the Seahawks are going to look this year. But, yeah, I think against the Cowboys, you look at it, and I think that the Cowboys have some things to figure out with their starters. They could be playing a pretty strong team in the first half, and that's going to be the Seahawks probably trying to put their best foot forward in the first half as well. And so maybe we're going to get a little bit of a preview of, of a regular season game. And if the Seahawks... Uh, You know, I don't even think that, uh, like, there's so much working against Justin Fields, but even on that first drive, like, with the, with regards to new coaching and the offensive line and the weapons, the receivers, the tight ends, the situation, it was still a 52 yard drive against the Seahawks defense that was trying to be their best version of a number one defense. Obviously, without, you know, almost the entire secondary and, uh, and, no Jordan Brooks and all that, but in general, and you know, Nwosu and Mafe and Taylor, they were out there for a big portion of the game too. Yeah. So you could judge the amount of time that the pass rush was out there. And, and you know, Justin Fields and, and then Trevor Simeon, they, they really just kind of did more of what they wanted uh, with the Bears offense. And we thought the Bears offense was going to be bad. So it's, it's really interesting to think, well, if the Cowboys come out next week and they're holding a competition at receivers, so I would imagine that you're going to see some of their best options at wide receiver next week, uh, trusting Seattle's cornerbacks and secondary. Um, if it goes poorly, then, yeah, I guess people will sort of start to imagine that this could be a sign of things to come. Um, but you're still pretty firmly on – are you still pretty firmly in the camp of like 8 and 9, 9 and 8, something respectable? I mean, the Steelers game made him look like like a seven to to seven to nine win team. That's what that game looked like. Um, yesterday's game made him look like a two and fifteen team. I mean, Adam said it on the Seahawkers pod after the game. Like, this is yesterday was kind of like their floor in a way. You know, as I, I was, he was kind of thinking like, this is just. When they look bad, this is the worst they're going to look, you know, special teams, fumbles, yeah, you know, linebackers. I mean, def- it wasn't all their fault, but the linebackers looked terrible, you know, overall. Um, the dropped passes, you know. I mean, that's the thing, too. It's like a lot of those guys are expected to play, like some of them at least, Cody Barton. Right. We know that, like, we're just like a, a hair away from having to go to, you know, uh, or, uh, you know, I don't even think Nick Pelor is in the mix anymore, right? I mean, he didn't get any I snaps. I didn't see last him play. Night. Yeah. He didn't, didn't get any play. snaps last night. So I don't think I, that I didn't re- release my next thing of five cuts, but I just don't know. Like, Nick Pelor doesn't have a role in the team except for special teams captain. You can pay $2 million for a special teams captain. And the special teams was terrible last night. So, you know, it's kind of like, giving Nick Bloor the best chance to go find another team, if anything. So I think he could be on the outs. Uh, Joel DeBlanco starting at linebacker because, and he's a guy that wasn't even signed until several, you know, a couple of weeks or a week into training camp. And he's been making a bunch of missed tackles. Uh, it would just seem like the Seahawks definitely have to be concerned with the health of, Jordan Brooks like every single week because if it was down without him in the regular season, you know, that's a sure-handed tackler that you're losing. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it a few times already. Like, it's an oddly – it's a position group that has is oddly thin. You know, they usually have a lot of different interesting players. You know, even if it's a guy who's a wild card, right, like – Justin Coleman or something, you know, bringing him back. I mean, he's shown he has talent, but, like, the linebackers are – they're just trash, man, you know? And I know some of it's – some of the problem with the tackling and stuff because I know – I mean, I think some of it – I think some of it has to do with the fact that the Seahawks really don't – they're not very aggressive in practice compared to other teams, you know? Like, they don't really hit. Mm. Um, and I yeah. think some of that – I think some of it, like, because to me – 
the first half, we weren't very tackling. We were tackling really poorly. But I felt like as the game went on, it got better a little bit here and there. Like I said, I think with the linebackers, they kind of didn't really play well the whole game. But yeah, I couldn't. Uh, I could have missed one, but I thought. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh yeah, I just thought Tanner Muse. He seemed to at least make a few sure-handed tackles that seemed like of good form. Yeah. But yeah. But we in were general, they were out. Of, they were out of position in general. They were getting. They were getting worked by the tight ends and the. Slot receivers, you know. What were you going to say about cornerbacks? What was I going to say? Oh, I don't know. Well, I don't know, but uh, a lot of people talk to you about Mike Jackson, and, and I think, like, I don't know. Like, I haven't seen – I don't know if I, I – I think maybe I'm just a poor person, a poor judge of, of all that kind of stuff, maybe. I don't want to, like, go out there and say, oh, I don't think Mike Jackson – is going to make the team or whatever because I, I don't know. I just don't know, know that I've heard it like that. That position is, is like weirdly deep and shallow at the same time. You know, yeah. it's, it's like you got to keep six or seven guys because I mean, look at what's happening right now with Sidney Jones and Artie Burns. And, you know, there's no way, I don't know that Justin Coleman is going to make the roster or if he is ready to like actually start because, you know, there were, it's kind of been two games in a row questionable for Justin Coleman, and he's going to cost a little bit more than someone like Mike Jackson. Um, but then you've also, you know, speaking of the secondary and missed tackles, you got Marquise Blair and, and what, you know, his <laughs> uneven play. And yeah. it's like you really start going down that list and thinking, I mean, I guess at the, at the end of the day, if you're thinking that the safeties will be Quandre Diggs, Jamal Adams, Ryan Neal, and Josh Jones, it's not so big of a deal. Maybe that's just bad news for Marquise Blair. If you're thinking that, that cornerbacks, you know, Sidney Jones at his best, if he's healthy, he's a decent guy to have out there on, on one player, you know, and then Artie Burns, who just doesn't really have anything known about him other than he just hasn't played a lot in the last three years. So it's kind of where he is at with, with, and we haven't seen a bunch of him this, so it's like you've got that part of it, and then you're excited about Woolen and Bryant, but also don't feel comfortable putting them out there to begin the season. So you've got to keep those guys, and you also can't really start them. And so it's like you you have to maybe consider keeping an extra cornerback or two, like a Mike Jackson or uh, a Justin Coleman or whatever, just because you just don't you, you don't feel confident that you're going to have the same guys out there. You know, Pete said something about like, uh, how their plan for defense this year was hopefully one that would, you know, mitigate the need to have talented cornerbacks. At least that's the way that I read it, you know, kind of that they didn't need to spend as much money there because, and I think that they're one of the lowest paid, you know, in the league, which bears out with what we know that the Seahawks are putting out there at cornerback. Um, it's gotta be, well, I don't know if it's gotta be a priority in the draft next year because it's never been a priority for Pete Carroll before. But are you worried about, you know, Sidney Jones, Artie Burns, Justin Coleman? Not necessarily. I like the way they look. I like the way that they play. I think the injury thing is like, it's just part of football, right? So Ryan Neal's hurt. You know, uh, Sidney Jones, Artie Burns. Um, I mean, and, and of course, Quandre is coming back from injury. Adams, you know, who knows how, you know, his, his shoulder's going to hold up. So, like you said, like, it's oddly deep and thin at the same time. You have a lot of untested, interesting players. Oh, Trey Brown was the other guy that's hurt, too. So, um, you have untested, unproven talent. Cup uh, like alongside pro bowlers, you know, so there's not a whole lot in the middle. And when one of those guys goes down, it all kind of, it shifts the whole balance of the, of the team. I mean, I, my, I'm not going to be, I'm like less worried about the cornerbacks only because our, I think our pass rush looks so good and, or looks so improved. So I know that's going to help, but you know, I mean, like a lot of this stuff this year, right, Kenny? Like, we're this is a year for these players to sort of prove themselves as not prove themselves as like a Justin Coleman type, but like as young players. Like, you know, I mean, a lot of this is kind of storybook Pete Carroll Seahawks stuff. You know, like who's gonna shine? You know, who's gonna rise to the 
who's going to rise up, you know, who's going to be a hero every week, you know, and then that, you know, I think once the team, uh, especially like the cornerbacks, no matter who's in there, because I really, at this point, they're so, the injuries are piling up there. You're just going to have to go with whoever's available each week, right? So I think it's going to change often throughout the year. Because I think Jamal Adams at some point is going to get hurt again or something's going to happen to him or he's going to be out at least, he, you know, and who knows how, you know, Diggs seems like he's fine, but also he broke his freaking leg, man. So I don't know if he's going to be like day one, snap one at 100%, right? So Yeah, I know. It's a fair point. I mean. So I think it's going to have to be like heroes, you know. We're going to have to – we're just going to have to see who – like legacy, there's legacy to be built this year for the for those guys. You know what I mean? Well, first of all, what a disappointing show that Heroes was. Remember that? Yeah, it was terrible. I like after the first three or four episodes, I was like, "This is gonna be dope," and then it was just terrible. Yeah, it really started so high and then decided to just completely crash and burn, as uh, some shows strangely opt to do. Uh, but yeah, not a good Heroes. I see what you're saying. Also, you've you know he's kind of talked about how. The Bears, that, I mean, the way that the Seahawks played, you know, if that was indicative of the future, would be like a two and fifteen team. I think to the end of the to that point too, it's like first the Seahawks have to play the Broncos and the Forty ers You know, some people think the Broncos are the sleeper to win the AFC. You know, some people think that the Forty ers are in the NFC. You know, um, and. Whatever the case may be, I think it's fair to say that both are a little bit more well-equipped to win at this very moment than the Seahawks are. So yeah. it's going to be a tough road to start anything other than 0-2. And, and if they do start anything other than 0-2, maybe there's some like really good reason to like think, okay, well, there are going to be good days. At the very least, even if they go 6-11, and 11, there's going to be some good days because you compete against Russell Wilson and if you keep competing against the 49ers, you know, I think... That's that's indicative of positive momentum. Uh, but then they play the Falcons and the Lions, and I think like those are those teams that maybe the Lions are much, are a little bit ahead of the Falcons. But especially I think playing that Falcons in Week Three, that's going to be the game that sort of tells us everything, because the Falcons may be all you know. I think the Bears might be the worst team in the league. I think the Falcons might be the worst team in the league. I think you know. Uh, there's a few teams that would be in there, and I think the Seahawks want to definitely not be in that conversation. So I think the Falcons is that game where you say, well, they lose if they lose 17 to six to the Falcons, it's it's going to be a difficult year, you know. So I think that could be the most important game uh, for Seattle. And and I don't know, I had these expectations of the Seahawks have won so many games against the 49ers. The Seahawks have. They know Russell Wilson so well. It'll be his first game with Denver. The Broncos were like fine last year. They weren't good. They weren't that good. So it's like that's a winnable game. But the closer you get, where you just don't feel the, you get to see those flashes, especially from the starting quarterback. You know that you don't get to see those flashes. It makes it a little bit harder. And then on top of that, you just want, even though Boy Mafe flashes and and you know individually, like you get excited about individual players it starts to develop a concern that the defense, if you were thinking that maybe the defense would carry the offense for the whole year, it starts to feel a little bit less likely. I mean, do you see it that, does that, do you agree with that? I mean, I just don't want to make too many assumptions about how we're going to look in the regular season. I mean, I just, but at the end of the day though, I do want to ask you this directly. Like if it was like the guys who aren't playing, and yeah. you even expressed, not criticism, but skepticism about Quandre Diggs and Jamal Adams. Just like, okay, well, we'll see what we get when we get there. The guys that aren't playing. Like, if you go to another team, uh, like, let's say the 49ers, and you go like, oh, they're sitting most of their good starters. Oh, so they're not, they're sitting Nick Bosa. They're sitting Fred Warner. You know, they're sitting some of these guys that will be in the all pro conversation or the Rams. Oh, they're sitting Aaron Donald. They're sitting Jalen Ramsey, you know. The guys that the Seahawks are sitting are not of that caliber. So I just don't know how it's going to be significantly better when they get back. Yeah. I mean, it is a concern. Uh, the I mean, I do believe in the coaching staff, or at least I'm betting on the coaching staff. That might be more appropriate. 
Yeah. So, I mean, like you like you're right. I mean, there's when you look at it, you know, there's reasons <laughs> to like not think much good is going to happen or or at least it won't look much different than the last 2 years, the defense. Um, if if you had to play the Broncos 16 times this year or the 49ers 16 times this year, which team do you think the Seahawks would uh, prefer to play? Probably the Broncos because they're less physical than the 49ers. Uh, yeah. Help with the injuries. I mean, the Broncos and the Seahawks, whenever they – or the 49ers and the Seahawks, whenever they play, they there's always somebody that gets hurt, man. Yeah. You know, it's a really aggressive game. Would you rather uh, have – Justin Fields or Trey, Trey Lance? I think I would rather have Trey Lance because he just seems a little bit more humble, but I like both of their skill set. And I think if Justin Fields was really put to it and somebody said, hey, would you rather have started year one anywhere in the league or would you have? Would you rather have had one year to to learn and to sit back like Trey Lance did? And I think – any any rookie quarterback, if you take ego out of it, if you take expectations, they're all going to say, I want one year to chill, you know? And, you know, I think that's going to help Trey Lance out. I think, you know, he made some pretty decent throws. Um, they played yesterday, right? Or were uh, they? No, because they, the Seahawks are the only team that have played and the Bears. I thought more than – was there more than one game yesterday? I guess not. But he looked good in the first game. He made some nice throws, kind of like, you know, Drew Locke, honestly, um, and Gino even. Just made some good throws, made some dumb decisions, made some bad throws. But I think, uh, to me, Justin Fields is kind of a similar skill set as Trey Lance, but I think that Trey Lance, you know, he has a better coach. Um I don't know if Justin Fields is receptive or unreceptive to learning, but I think Kyle Shanahan, for all his misgivings and weaknesses, is a really good quarterback coach. You know, I mean, he I got think a lot like of in, Garoppolo, you know. Yeah, and I think it's telling that Shanahan didn't consider Justin Fields for the pick. You know, it was only going to be Mac Jones or Trey Lance, and he's said that. And so it's like the fact that, you know, Trey Lance was put at that pedestal without even uh, having much of a career <laughs> to this point. Um, definitely speaks to the amount of uh, adoration that not just the 49ers, but a lot of NFL teams had for what he was physically capable of doing. And obviously Shanahan is a guy to, you know, uh, that will take a lot of pride in being able to do that. And I think like, you know, every, everybody's different, you know, like, Russell Wilson responded well to playing in his first season. Um, and Aaron Rodgers has said that with, you know, that he really is happy that he had three years behind Brett Favre. Um, or he could just be saying that because he wants to encourage Jordan Love, you know, so, uh, who knows? Uh, but what if you, uh, if you had, who's, uh, more likely to win a rookie player of the year award, Kenneth Walker or Boy Mate? Um, to me, that's a tough one. Probably I would put the odds on Mafe because he's going to be, he'll either get a few, he'll, he'll either get a handful of pass rushing reps or he'll get an expanded role. Whereas Kenny Walker, we don't know if he's going to be, cause at some point Kenny's going to, Kenneth Walker's going to be, the number one back, he's going to be the number two back, and he's going to be the number three back, and that's going to be yeah. all. Dependent, that's going to be all dependent on Penny's health and on Homer and Dallas, who I know they both want to make a difference this year. Um, so I would say yeah. Mafe because he's going to be in the game no matter what. Mafe's going to get a few, going to get 10, 20 snaps, even if he's not playing great. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, we can probably if, expect that Rashad Penny won't play a full season, maybe giving Kenneth Walker an opportunity to showcase himself as the number one back. But you're right that with Travis Homer and, and DJ Dallas, those guys are going to get mixed in in first, second, third down as well. More of probably the fact that maybe, and even like in that we, we know how much people are like, oh man, giving that two minute Travis Homer and having him out there, all that kind of stuff. You know, I think, at the end of the day, K- 
Kenneth Walker will get a couple two, three series to be the guy um, every game. And uh, maybe those plays will be so exciting that he earns, you know, it's just hard to keep him off the field, but Rashad, it's a, yeah. So I see that part of it. And I also see the part of it where I think among all the rookies right now, boy, Mafe is one that is standing out, standing out as a pass rusher, standing out as a guy who, you know, what I liked about him at, at coming out of Minnesota was not necessarily what I liked about him, but what I understood about why he was available at pick 40, just like the amount of, coaching changes and role changes that he had to go through at Minnesota. But if you take his athleticism and, and his potential and what he was able to do in his limited opportunities, it was like, okay, if this guy is put in the right place and given good coaching, and I think that is a quality that maybe Pete Carroll's staffs over the years haven't got as much credit for as their development of pass rushers and finding good pass rushers on the cheap you know, has been a thing that they've been doing since Pete Carroll made one of his first ever trades for Chris Clemens. So it's mm-hmm. like seeing what Seattle has done. I think Boy Mafe could be a guy who, you know, right away is having, you know, maybe eight sacks or something like that as a rookie. And, and to that's what I would consider to be very talented. You know, eight sacks as a rookie to me would be like a very talented level. So that's kind of what I think is possible based on what little we've seen and heard about Boy Mafe up to this point. But given that we know that he had such a special, such special traits, you know, that's, that's a good part of it too. And obviously I love Kenneth Walker. So, you know, uh, not easy for me to choose Boy Mafe, but I do agree. Um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, that kind of summarizes the Seahawks. Just, we know that the way that they've played here through two preseason games and just, knowing that this whole time that there would be some sort of quarterback controversy, I guess. And this is, I guess, a quarterback controversy officially full blown because controversially, some people want this guy. Some people want that guy. Some people don't want either. Some people want guys that aren't in the organization. That's controversy. So, you know, we knew that no matter what, without getting a full fledged replacement for Russell Wilson, controversy would continue and yet another reason to believe that as soon as the Seahawks have the opportunity they see to get that franchise guy next year, uh, they will take it. Not, and that may be February. They've gone to the scouting combine. They've evaluated someone. They've said, this is the guy we're going to draft. Can't wait. Or whether that be through other means, uh, I think the Seahawks will definitely not be having a quarterback competition like this one. Hopefully it's, you know, not like, trading for Carson Wentz, you know, I don't want to see Seattle uh, go be so desperate as to make sure that they just make a move. And yeah, so, no, yeah, yeah, I would say on that, I would say on that tip, Kenny, like that's where them not trading for Garoppolo gives me, uh, uh, gives us a really clear idea that it reaffirms everything you just said. Right. I think the Seahawks already know who they want to draft quarterback wise I think they've got a few guys most likely already eyeball they've already got a, a few guys eyeballed they don't Garoppolo if you're a like if you're the Mariners right now right and the equivalent of Jimmy Garoppolo becomes available a team cuts like a really solid number two number three starting pitcher Mariners pick him up you know what I mean done that's where they're yeah. at right that's where they're at right now. I got to say, every time you do the Mariners and the baseball <laughs> analogies, I'm lost. You know, you lose me. I don't well, the Mariners are in a, I'll say this. The Mariners are in a playoff race, right? And if the equivalent pitcher of, like, Jimmy Garoppolo, like a solid, a really solid player, unspectacular uh, in some ways, but also extremely solid, right? Like, if he becomes available – yeah, and you're in the middle of a pl- playoff race. Boom, you got to pick that guy up. But we don't need a Jimmy Garoppolo, and they they don't think they need a Jimmy Garoppolo. They don't think they need Baker Mayfield. You know, they don't think they need. Um, I don't think they're really trying that hard to push for Lamar Jackson. Even you know, I think no, I don't think any of these guys have. I mean, it wouldn't have really mattered short of trading for Trevor Lawrence or Zach Wilson or some guy that's not available. 
there was just no point. You know, there's like, yeah, you're not going to bring in some quarterback. Any quarterback that's available is available for a reason. And now you're talking about veteran. And, and then all of a sudden, like you're saying, like the Seahawks cannot support a quarterback. So the, yeah. all you really want is a guy who may be like a Trey Lance. Even if Trey Lance, a rookie, was on the Seahawks right now, of an equivalent rookie to Trey Lance, you would say, we're still choosing between Geno Smith and Drew Locke. We do not oh. want to put this guy in this position right now to try and quote unquote save us because that is not going to save us. And it's only, it could only hurt him. So yeah, it's, it's not a, it's not a good, I remember people were asking for Matt Ryan. It's like, he's going to get killed. What are you talking about? Why do you want Matt Ryan here to, to, you know, forget the end of his career and just be like, Oh, what happened at the end of my career? I remember the Falcons. I remember retiring. What happened between <laughs> that? That would have been Matt Ryan if he had gotten traded to Seattle. Yeah. Matt Ryan, Jerry Rice, Franco Harris, three legendary Seahawks. Exactly. Edrin James. Uh, but yeah, so it's fun, uh, to have stuff to talk about. And certainly the Seattle Seahawks are doing that with the, you know, with their moves, their non moves and, uh, yeah, I think that's about all for this episode of Seaside Show. Uh, I think we've, we've got a good sense of the good play and the good, the ba- good play, the bad play, things to look for, uh, next week. One thing, and, uh, we didn't Oh yeah, no, up. I'll give you, give you a thing. One yeah, thing. go ahead. Dude, Jason Myers has gotta go, man. Oh yeah, we gotta, you gotta go. cut that, dude. What is wrong with our kicker, man? I mean, it was, it's almost like he's been told, Hey, if you don't do well in the preseason, we are going to cut you. And he's just thinking about that $4 million. And if you're putting some pressure on a guy going like, Hey, cause it's like $4 million to, you know, you know, like Deshaun Watson just got fined $5 million and people go, well, that's nothing to him. $4 million to Jason Myers. That's probably half of his career earnings. I mean, they're putting that pressure on him to say, like, you wanna, you wanted to move to Mercer Island? Make your kicks in the preseason. You know, it's yeah. like, and he goes out there, the first one should have been a miss. You know, if it's the regular season, then you just sort of go, okay, whatever. Like, if Justin Tucker goes out there and makes a kick like that, you just go like, haha, well, he'll be fine. But yeah. when you're Jason Myers and you do it, and then you come back the next week and miss to the other side, it really makes it seem like, Hey, there's no tuning going on right here. Just, just make the kicks because this is when we're evaluating you to decide whether or not your four million dollars can, you know, give a million dollars of that to some other kicker and then take three million dollars that you can use to, you know, potentially re-sign a player next year. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And he hasn't. Have you noticed he hasn't kicked any out of the back of the end zone? And that's something that somebody brought up to me too when I said that uh, Jason Myers could get cut. You know, I said I know that it's still. I said Nick Ballore would get cut. I said Gabe Jackson would be traded, but I don't know if that's you know at this point you know in the yeah, cards if Damian Lewis isn't going to be there. Uh, and I said Jason Myers, and you know I didn't say Puna Ford would get cut. I didn't say that. I just pointed <laughs> out that the money was there and that the. You know, what doesn't, I'm just saying like, no one else is really giving you the warning. And all I do is give you the warning, you know, not you, dad, you, the people. Uh, but that, that is all I'm trying to say is, Hey, nobody out here is going to be willing to tell you that maybe the Seahawks would look to make a move with these players. Maybe. And I think that that is good preparation because I've been correct every now and then. So we'll see, uh, whether or not I think there, but Jason Myers is a much easier one. Like that is like four. He's the fifth highest paid kicker, but he doesn't really kick like that. So, um, there are other kickers out there. There are, you know, always kickers that become available during the season who are fine. And who knows to what degree Seattle really needs a great kicker this season. We'll find out, but $4 million is not, a, you know, he's not a great kicker. So, yeah, I think that's that could definitely be one of the uh, five cuts as well as not five cuts this week, but I do think the Seahawks should sign somebody or look look be looking, you know, at least be looking right now. I know so, they they did bring in one guy into camp. I think I don't know if he's still there. Okay, yeah, probably not still there because there's no other kickers on the roster at this very oh, moment. Okay, okay, but uh, yeah, it's. 
it's something that I think you can go out there and look for guys pretty soon. But, uh, yeah, that's it for this episode of, uh, Seaside Joe. You can find Thad on Twitter at Thad is rad and always on field goals, the, uh, daily links. Any, uh, other parting thoughts as we go, Thad? Um, tough game. Um, I liked, uh, overall, I would say I liked the, like, I liked the way the receivers ran their routes. I like the aggressiveness of Gino. I like the aggress the, the relative aggressiveness in terms of a Pete Carroll offense uh, of Gino and Eason. Um, I'm looking forward. I mean, the team. I think next Sunday, right, or is next Saturday in here in Dallas, where I'm at. What's up, baby? Nice. Um, you know the team. I think it's a. I think it's probably to me, and I, maybe tell me if this sounds corny to you or not. But to me, this is the most important preseason game in Seahawks history. I'm going to stand on that. A lot I mean, has to be decided, you know, and Drew Locke might still be sick next week. He might not play, man, at all, you know? Yeah. So. I mean, the, the Steelers game was definitely the most important preseason game of, you know, 10 years, uh, as obviously the Russell Wilson Chiefs game was quite a game. Uh, and then it just keeps exacerbating, you know, this game and then the next game uh, will hold even more relevance. So, yeah, I have to – to say you're onto something, um, and we'll talk about it. Whatever happens, uh, Seahawks, Cowboys, uh, we'll talk about it next time. So, you know, you're watching, you're listening, you're doing something. Uh, this is Seaside Joe, a football podcast, and we'll be back next time to talk about football on this podcast.